We are part of one race, the human race. We bleed one color, red. We have but one Father, God. And we each come alive in only one atmosphere, love. It is who we are, it is whose we are. Our superficial categories, white, black, fat, skinny, rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful, fail us. For these categories define parts of us, but not all of us. We are humans. We are complicated creatures made in the image and likeness of God, but our attitudes and actions at times make it difficult to prove. We are strong, but weak. We are whole, but broken. We are good, but evil. We are blessed, but cursed. We are truth-telling liars. We are selfish servants, awakened dreamers, hopeful cynics, sinful saints. We are breathing, talking, thinking contradictions. And like the moon itself, we have an illuminated side and a shadowed side. Some days we look like God, other days we look like his enemy. We are sensitive mannequins, living robots. We are, but not. Here, but not really. Yet somehow we've convinced ourselves we are unique, different than anyone else, separate, special, elite. Our brokenness is different, our struggles exceptional, our imperfections one of a kind. So we duck and cover, camouflage and blend in. We hide our undersides, act as if those things of which we are embarrassed are not real, and pretend to be something we're not, hopeful no one notices, but they do. We're aware something isn't right, something is out of balance, but we refuse to let others know because we ourselves aren't sure what or how. So we present an image, we paste on the smiles, practice the handshakes, and project an impression we are shiny, happy people. But under the masks, we are dull, disappointed performers. We fear other people are better off, more together, more balanced, healthier, more content, happier. We've persuaded ourselves to believe we are less than others. You think I'm overly dramatic? Exaggerating reality? Choosing to see the glass half empty? Maybe. Yet most of us are far from happy. That's not my opinion. That's what research reveals. Pastor, professor, and counselor Dr. Chuck DeGroat recalls an interesting occurrence with his two teenage daughters. I suspect this conversation would be similar if it took place in your home with your children. He recalls, The other day I asked my daughters, who were 14 and 13, what the happiest place in the world was. I'm thankful they didn't say Disney World. Both of them looked a bit puzzled, then one said, the United States, of course. After all, in the scarcity model, we're the country that has it all. According to the media, our leaders and our preachers, we judge every other nation as having less. I took the question a bit further. Let's play a game, uh, Dr. DeGroat said to his daughters. I suggest you tell me which country is happier. And then he proceeded, Canada or the United States? Hmm, one of his daughters said. Probably the United States. Canada has a lot, but not as much as we have. Well, actually, Canada is happier than we are, Dr. DeGroat said. Uh, Mexico or the United States? Probably the United States, they said again. They recalled a time when we were in Mexico and I needed emergency surgery. We were all a bit worried about the level of medical care I'd receive. But as the data reveals, Mexico is happier than the United States, I told them. Then I showed them a UN study detailing the rankings. My daughters were shocked that the United States ranked below Mexico, Canada, and even Israel, despite the political and social unrest there.
the United States didn't make the top five. They were shocked again. The categories they developed for happiness and unhappiness were suddenly challenged. These questions and answers got us talking about happiness, how we experience it, what it means, what we long for. Of course, we don't need UN data to tell us that the US isn't the happiest country. We are living data. We see the proof in our grumpiness after the extraordinary Caribbean vacation, in our lack of lasting satisfaction even after a good review from the boss, in our reactive rage to the simplest things going just a bit wrong. We feel it in our buyer's remorse after taking out a mortgage too big for our budget, in the mild irritation we experience when our coworker co-ops the microwave, in our stuffed but unsatisfied stomachs after a McDonald's binge. Dr. DeGroat forces us to look in the mirror. He reveals the truth about us. As a whole, we are broken, unhappy, and disillusioned people. And you're no exception. So is most, if not all, of the people in your home. Start paying attention to people. Every person you and I meet, including you and me, drags an invisible bag behind him or her. These bags are stuffed with doubts, fears, and worries. These bags slow us down. These bags take up room. These bags require time to pack up and get them out the door in the morning. It's why a few of us are late to work, to church, to life. The bag is just heavy. These bags ride with us in traffic, sit at our desks, and get lugged around offices. These bags require room in our beds, sit around our dinner tables, and are thrown into the seats behind us at church. If our eyes could see the bag dimension, we would see bag after bag piled all in our rooms at home. Some of these bags would be filled with fathers, mothers, ex-wives, old boyfriends, failed businesses, incomplete degrees, letters written but never mailed, emails drafted but never sent, doctored resumes, broken dreams, divorce papers, and aborted babies. We are all, in one way or another, bag ladies. Now listen, my goal of this message is not to depress you. My goal is to reveal you to dive into your heart, mind, soul, and help you figure out why you tick and inspire you to allow Jesus to completely heal you. So what's going on? How is it possible to have food, clothes, education, technology, opportunities, and remain so unhappy, unfulfilled, and utterly disillusioned? Here's how. We are complicated and intricate creatures. We are multi-layered, multifaceted, complex, profound, mysterious beings who have been shaped and formed and produced by so many factors we cannot count. Our parents, whether they be good, bad, or ugly, our culture, and our choices. Everyone should wear a shirt or a badge or something, alerting everyone around. Please be aware, sometimes I don't even understand myself. What you see is not what you're going to get. On your screen there, there's a picture of an iceberg. On the left-hand side, you'll, you'll see the graphic there. It, it says, this is what I do or what people see. Underneath it, it says, my work, uh, humor, style, taste, hobbies, interests, conversations, image. That's all the stuff that people see. That iceberg, that part of the iceberg is above the waterline. But then on the right-hand side of the screen, you see it says, why I do it. This is what God knows. 
That's my personality, my habits, pain, scars, doubts, experiences, memories, bruises, and mental and emotional health. All of that lies below the waterline. That's who we are. We are complicated beings. Part of us is above the water and everybody sees us, but there's a large part of us below the waterline. That's the stuff that people don't see, but that's really what makes us tick. What I'm doing is introducing you to you. Each of us has a false self or a shadow self and a true self or an authentic self. And the healthier you and I become, the more we live out our true self or our authentic self. And the unhealthier we are or become, the more we live out of our false self or shadow self. This is a long and detailed series. And this is only one message today. And here's how I'm going to approach it. I'm slicing off a piece of who we are and looking at it up close. We literally could do this for weeks on end, taking one part and talking about it, the next week taking another part and talking about it. Today, it's just one message, and I just want to take a look at one part of who we are. And here's what I know about many of us. And I know this because I know people, and I know me. But I also know this because what I'm speaking with you about over the next few minutes has become more prevalent, more widespread, more acute during Corona. Social distancing, fear of getting sick, the fear of losing someone we love. Here's what I know about many of you and many people you love. Here's what's below the water, underneath the water line, if you will, the part of you many people never see. Here's the truth. You and those you love are lonely. You might have a house full of people, but you feel alone. You might be sitting in a room of people right now, but you feel as if you might as well be the only person here because loneliness is swirling around you. My guess is our nation right now as a whole is experiencing loneliness like we haven't experienced in years, and especially around the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Traditionally, we are with family and friends, but this year for many of us, it's different. Some of you are watching this message today because you, you couldn't go home because of the threat of COVID-19. Social distancing has made eating around a large table packed with family members and friends almost impossible, or at least difficult enough to choose not to attempt this year. Loneliness is floating in the air. It's gently falling on every leaf and dusting every blade of grass. We breathe it in and it stings our souls and wounds our hearts. I've dubbed 2020 as the year of loneliness. And because that's true, we as the church, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, must meet one another in our pain, where we hurt, and massage into the souls of one another the oil of love and comfort. We are connected and we are in this together. So what do we need from each other? And what do we need to give to each other? I want to give you three. First, touch. Matthew 8.2. Matthew records the occurrence of a man with leprosy who came and knelt before Jesus. The leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. During the time of Jesus, leprosy was common and there were Levitical laws written clearly instructing what lepers could and couldn't do and what other people could and couldn't do if they were around a leper. 
One of the laws required a leper to shout, unclean, unclean, as he or she entered a city that everyone would move away. When someone became a leper, he or she had a lifespan of about 10 years. What happens during those 10 years is horrible. Once leprosy spreads, the person no longer even resembles a human. Their body begins to rot and fall away. And on top of all of that, sadly, leprosy is one of the most contagious diseases there is. So can you imagine a disease so awful, your body begins to decompose and fall off. Your, your fingers, toes, lips, nose, ears, all of it, and be extremely contagious on top of that. Honestly, how would you react? What would you do if someone with leprosy began walking in your direction? Would you say, back up, back up, get away? The leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What does Jesus do? In verse 3, it says Jesus reached out his hand and touches him. Think about that. He looks at him and he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. This is amazing. Throughout the four gospels, there are several examples of Jesus healing people without touching them. All he needed was the power of his word. In fact, Lazarus, who died four days earlier, Jesus speaks into the cave and says, Lazarus, come out. And he did. Jesus doesn't need to touch anyone to heal them. So why did he touch this man? Listen to me carefully. Could it be the disease he needed healing from was the most, wasn't leprosy, but loneliness? There are people today watching. And some of you come to church regularly and you love Forest Park and you love the band and you love worship. But the real reason that you go to church, whether it's here or maybe another church closer to your area, maybe the real reason you go is because it's the only place during the week you get a hug or a handshake or a high five, any kind of human connection. At Forest Park, it's my goal and the goal of our leaders to hug people, to shake their hand, to say hello, and sometimes to give them a wet, sloppy kiss. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Touching people. Number two, listening. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the, attempt, the intent to respond or reply. People need to be loved by being heard. Jesus was a great listener. In Luke 24, two men are walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus had been crucified and no one knew he had risen. These two men pinned their hopes on the fact Jesus was the Messiah and he was going to build a kingdom on earth. They're walking along this road, their eternal hopes dashed. They're depressed, lonely, and Jesus comes alongside them. In Luke 24, verse 17, Jesus asks a question. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them asks, are you the only one visiting in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? It's funny to me because Jesus could have responded with, no, actually, I'm the only one who really knows what's going on here. But what does he do? He asks a second question. Are you the only one that is unaware of what's happening in Jerusalem these days? They say to Jesus and Jesus says, what things? Why do you think Jesus did not reveal himself and solve their pain? Maybe he was modeling for us how we should live in a world where there are people needing to know we love them. They don't just need answers. They need discussion. They need questions. They need attention. In this busy world, we slow down and ask, how can I pray for you? Tell me your story. 
hey, try this, and you will freak some people out when you do. The next time you ask someone how they're doing, add this at the end. Really. How are you doing? Really. Just slow down and ask them how they're doing and give them time to answer. Number three, time. Jesus was always on the move. He was always going somewhere. He was always going to heal someone. Yet he stopped and listened. He asked questions. There's a beautiful story in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is at a friend's house, busy teaching. A man paralyzed wants Jesus to heal him. The man can't get to Jesus. He's unable to walk. The man's friends pick him up and carry him to where Jesus is located. When they arrive, the house is packed with people and the paralyzed man and his friends are unable to get inside. What do they do? They climb on top of the house and begin to peel back the roof and lower the man down in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He stops what he's doing and announces to the man he is forgiven of all his sins. He then begins a conversation with the Pharisees and then heals the man. Jesus was not too busy to minister to the man's needs. He took time. Listen to me carefully. Whoever God puts in front of you is God's assignment for you. Imagine if we looked at it like this. If we all just stepped into God's assignment, the needs of our entire community would always be met. The needs in front of you are God's assignment for you. I want you to say that. The needs in front of me are God's assignment for me. Imagine that. The offering basket in front of you is God's opportunity for you. The group's table, whenever we put out a table and ask people to sign up for groups, that's God's invitation for you. We love people by touching people. So give the hug, the handshake. We're going to give the best hugs of any church anywhere. We love people by listening to people. Get to know their story, hear what they're saying. And we love people by giving time to people. Do not let the urgent crowd out the important. Now, what if it's you who feel alone today? Well, I pray the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Your family, we're family. We're imperfect. At times, we're dysfunctional, but we love you. We have been given by God to one another to walk through hard times. We love you. The second thing, probably more important than the first, is God loves you. He designed us for intimacy, not just intellectual knowledge, but intimacy with him. And I want to close with this beautiful passage from Isaiah chapter 41. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Would you pray with me today? Father, as we close this message out today, my prayer is that this message has encouraged people to recognize that we're often lonely. We often feel disconnected. And I don't know that there's ever been a time that at least in my lifetime that we have had more loneliness around us than this past year. Father, with all the fear of contracting uh, corona and all the social distancing, we have missed spending time with people. We have missed touching people. We have missed listening to people. And we've also missed other people touching us, listening to us, spending time with us. 
Father, help us be a church. Help us be the body of Christ who will take risks and just love people where they are. There are people hurting today. They're lonely today, especially during the holidays, and they need to be loved. They need to be reminded how special they are. So Father, right where that person is who's feeling extra lonely today, wrap your arms of love around them and remind them, remind them how special they are, how loved they are, how forgiven they are. And Father, may we as a church love this community, love the people of our area, and do everything we can to make sure nobody feels lonely, especially during the holidays. We thank you and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching this video. While you're here, make sure you subscribe and turn the bell on so you don't miss any other videos or content Forest Park releases. Make sure you share this with a friend. Take a few moments and check out some other things Forest Park has.